morning. <clears throat> well, if you, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter what? Okay, good. <clears throat> James chapter 3, 13 to 18 is where uh, we're going to be. This is my New Year's text, my New Year's sermon since I uh, wasn't feeling good last week, and Dennis very graciously jumped in there. This one is in, and it can't not be preached, so I've got to... I got to get this out, all right? So let's, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, would you bless our time? Uh, use your word, I pray, to uh, encourage us. And uh, Father, perhaps convict us. But really what's on my heart this morning, Lord, is that it would, it would challenge us. We'd feel a little bit of pressure from the Word to charge forward today. And Father, um, uh, to take seriously, very seriously, uh, the call on our lives, uh, specifically from this passage this morning, Lord God, ultimately resulting in you being glorified in the differing lives in this place. Amen. <clears throat> So, I had a really good uh, Christmas and New Year's. Hope you did too. I did what I do every year. I very carefully counted my calories. And I fasted from TV. Okay, I did the opposite of both those. But, uh, as I did, our family watched some of our very favorite movies. One of them being, and I'm curious to see who, uh, who's seen this, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Disney version. Come on. Good grief. You call yourself Christians. <laughs> okay, 20,000 Leagues Into the Sea. Before you sleep tonight, you must. You must see that film. So I'm sitting there with the kids, and we're watching this movie, and there's a scene in there where uh, Kirk Douglas and James Mason, not, not this one, uh, the actor, James Mason, uh, is Captain Nemo, and uh, Kirk Douglas is Ned Land. Ned is asking questions about treasure on the ship, okay? So just track with me here. I'm going somewhere, Lord willing. And here's the conversation. <clears throat> now, there's some old language mixed in here, but track with, we'll track with it. Nemo says, you were sent to get food, not treasure. You can't eat pieces of treasure. Ned Land said, eat. I can eat anytime. Captain Nemo. You place an absurd value on the cheapest of human commodities. Aboard the Nautilus, we use such babbles as ballast. Nemo strolls over and he opens up this walk-in cooler type thing and shows him a huge mountain of treasure. Ned Land says, ballast, and he walks over and he looks in and sees everything that is there in the ship. Captain Nemo snatching the piece that Ned Land takes out of there. He says, The greatest treasures of all, Mr. Land, are a sound mind and a full belly. I hope you remember that before stooping to pick up pennies. Now, Kirk Douglas is one of my favorites, so his response is, You've been picking them up good. <laughs> and then he says, Ballast, and walks away. Now you go, Dan, what on earth does that have to do with PCBC for 2023? Well, I can't exactly explain this, but in the very second, in the moment of watching that movie and hearing Nemo say that 
to Ned Land, immediately I thought of wisdom, biblical wisdom. And the value Scripture puts on wisdom and the lack of value we often can put on wisdom. And so when Nemo looks Ned Land in the face, remember, just so you guys know, every preacher is just on the lookout of illustrations everywhere they go. It's just how, you, how we're built. Nemo is trying to communicate to Ned that you can't eat that treasure. You're putting value on that which really has very little value to us here in this submarine. And as I was thinking about what have I put value on that truly is just the cheapest of commodities? And what does God say is valuable? And it brought to my mind wisdom, and this text and this sermon have been brewing in my mind and heart since. So if you would, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. And what I want us to think about this morning, beloved, is how do we value wisdom on an individual basis? How do you value wisdom, and how should we value wisdom? So I'm just going to give you a couple texts from Proverbs, and then we'll, we'll jump down into the book of James. But Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then just turn from my Bible, it's just one page, chapter 3 of Proverbs, verse 13. Proverbs 3, 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Life is long in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Those who hold fast are called blessed. James chapter 3. Now, what I want to do first is define wisdom and then ask where wisdom comes from. So basically a definition and the source. Definition and the source. Definition, it denotes, this is from Bill Mounts, I found this helpful. In reference to wisdom, this, this word, it denotes the capacity to not only understand something, but also to act based on that which you know. The capacity to not only know something, but know how to act with that which you know. So it's the doing, not just the knowing. You have to have the knowing, but then you have to have, once you have the knowledge, the wisdom of how to act in light of that which you know. 
So when we say, man, that was a wise move, somebody does something, it's because we say they knew ahead of time what they should do, they acted out of what they knew, and it turned out well. This concept of wisdom. Now, look at the source really quick. James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 5. I love how James starts this with if, as if there is anybody who doesn't lack, but verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him Google. Let him ask God, who gives generously. I love that, you guys. I love that aspect of our God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now listen carefully, guys. I just want to go through this really fast. It's not a part of this message, but it's important contextually. Listen to how we should come to him and ask for wisdom. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed uh, by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Proverbs chapter 9, and I don't have a lot of verses we're jumping to, guys, just a few for getting the engine started this morning, but Proverbs chapter 9 And it's one that you probably have to your memory, and that's excellent. Verse 10. I'm going right back to James, so don't lose your spot. But chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the very kickoff, the start, the beginning of true sound wisdom is to fear the Lord. And that word fear, again, you're familiar with this, is, has far more to do with a, a reverential, a adoration-type fear for him, not a scared of him. Now, I am scared of his power. You look at something that fierce and that great, there is a trepidation to look at it, but the concept is, I have nothing but utter respect, affection, adoration for the glory of God, that, that fear of the Lord. First and foremost, it's the very beginning of wisdom. Now, you could argue, and I think it would be true, the more you fear him and the the more you grow in wisdom, the more you'll fear him and the more you'll grow in wisdom. This is cyclical. It keeps moving. It keeps going. keeps growing and growing and growing. The more I see the Lord, the more I walk in fear of the Lord. The more I walk in fear of the Lord, the greater I have wisdom, so on and so forth. And so this definition of acting based on that which we know, walking in obedience to the truth, this is not simply being knowledgeable of the Bible. Now, I say simply. That is not simple in any way, shape, or form to be knowledgeable of the Bible. It is hard work. Laziness and Bible study are not friends. It doesn't go together. As you work hard to study the Scripture, though, that's not only it. As you study the Scripture, then we come to, so what do you do about it? How does that find its place in your marriage? How does that find its place in your, in your raising of your kids, in the, uh, taking care of your grandkids, maybe raising your grandkids? How, how does this come into my life? That's where this wisdom comes into. Wisdom involves the knowing and the how, why, and when of the doing. 
Wisdom involves the knowing and the how, why, and when of the doing. See, there's things where uh, you get into a sticky situation, right? There's some sort of confrontation or something that's in front of you, and you're, you're kind of racking your brain going, I don't know how I'm going to do this one. I don't know how I'm going to do this one, but it has to be done. Boom. That's where we go to chapter 1, verse 5, and say, Father, I am in desperate need of the how, why, and when. I know what to do. I know the truth. I know what to say, but I'm not sure how to act on that, what to do with that. We've all been there, you guys, in some weird scenario or scene or, or, a, or a fight with a spouse or a kid or something where we're just like, oh, I know what the truth is, but getting at it, I'm not sure what to do with that. I'm not sure how to, how to act in this scene. That's what we're talking about when we want to walk in sound wisdom. Uh, I think it was um, John MacArthur that said righteous living was a definition he threw out there. Living righteously or righteous living. You're doing, you're knowing how to live out the Christian life in true wisdom. So listen how James deploys this. If you look at 13 of chapter 3, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Which is a great question to pose. Because what he's doing, he gets a synapses firing, he's questioning, he's asking you just to stop and ponder, right? Just hold on a second. Who among you is wise and understanding? If you want to make it super personal, you just stop and then take some time, break away and say, God, am I, am I a wise man? Am I a wise woman? Do I walk in wisdom? Do I, am I seeking, do I even care about walking in sound wisdom? As I advise people, as, as I receive advice, as I spend my finances, as I spend my time, as I deal with how do I take care of my car, how do I, you fill in the blank, guys, all the bits and pieces. Am I wise in understanding? So then once he gets that stirred up, this question is given to cause reflection and self-examination. He tells us how it will be seen. Look down. It says, um, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, some of your translations may say gentleness. It's same concept, same idea. Let him show this in the meekness or gentleness of wisdom. We'll go to there in just a second. But please notice, he says, You're wise. Let it be seen in the doing. Let it be seen in the acting. I, uh, the scripture and the Lord and we should have very little um, listening capacity to somebody who always wants to let you know they're wise. Because the scripture doesn't say, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them tell all their friends. No, the scripture says, do it. Act it. Let it come out in your life. You're wise and understanding? Wonderful. Thank God. That's a gift. Wisdom's a present by the Lord, through his word, through his spirit, into the Christian, and out into his life by his what? His good works. His doing. His acting. Wisdom is not seen necessarily in somebody telling everybody. It's not seen in telling somebody you're wise. 
Scripture has much to say about those who think they are wise in their own eyes. But rather, James says, who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show it in his good works. Now, this is what's so interesting, though. He puts a modifier on that. It's not good works in the sense of, man, i got to make sure I show everybody that I'm wise, so I better go do these good works and then let people know, hey, by the way, I did some really good works because I'm wise. Everybody scratches their head and goes, this, what's wrong with this guy, right? That word is a key word of this entire passage, that word meekness or gentleness. Now, what's interesting is that often, um, sometimes, it's fairly regular, people will refer to meekness as weakness, as when somebody is meek, it's because they're a wimp. It's because they don't have guts and they can't stand up for this or for that. And you say, well, that's the wimpiest guy I've ever seen. Um, that's not true in the least. That's so, that's so far from what the scripture has to say about true meekness. Meekness and cowardice are not in any way connected. I would argue cowardice and meekness are actually opposites of one another. Meekness flows from strength not from weakness, and not from cowardice. Meekness is, uh, I have a couple things I wrote down here. Wisdom is seen in a meek attitude. Meek is power and strength under control. Or like my brother Dennis uses, a quiet confidence, where you don't have to really flex. You know who you are. You know your capabilities. You know that I don't have to go around telling people that I'm strong. I know I'm strong. It's, I'm confident in that. Now, that's in a worldly standpoint, worldly perspective, okay? So don't lose me in the <clears throat> on that. But the idea of meekness is not somebody who says, oh, I'm scared, so I better just bow. Meekness is the one who says, no, I have full power and authority in the midst of this, but I'd rather not out of a gentle spirit for the purpose of peace which it's really, really powerful when in a scenario you meet somebody or see somebody that you know this person has full ability to, whether it's with their brains or with their body, to destroy this other individual who's tearing them down, and they take it, embrace it, show love, show deference, and then walk away. And then you find out later, that guy could have destroyed that guy but rather he sought meekness. He had strength and power, but he was controlled. He didn't take advantage of that. Remember our Lord, guys, when he met with Pilate, and he said, if, if my kingdom was of this world, I would, I'd call down angels, and they'd destroy you guys. But rather there he is in chains, meek, mild, gentle, ready to be sacrificed. Meekness isn't cowardice. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is somebody who is wise, somebody who knows the truth, and somebody who is not intimidated. The dog that barks the loudest usually has a very bad bite. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the meek, for they shall be called the children of God. There's a blessing in this. Beloved, this is a characteristic and attitude of the Christian. And I'm not saying, therefore, conversion day, and right after conversion, you go from a blowhard to a very meek and mild, gentle person. We know the Christian life doesn't work like that. 
But rather what does happen is God starts to make it very plain and clear what the truth is. And the more you get that truth into your mind and into your heart, deep into your soul, the more you act based on that truth. What are those truths? Well, I'll get there in a little bit, but basically, I'm just going to cap it with the truth of God is sovereign and you are weak, sinful, lost, wimpy, redeemed person. And the longer we're believers and the more we see ourselves rightly and we see him rightly, the more our meekness is not me saying, well, I'll be meek even though I'm really strong. No, I'll be meek because I'm absolutely weak. But he is strong. See, the the concept is, that's why I said it was a worldly idea. It's not the idea that this man could destroy you. It's my God's in sovereign control. So I can relax. I thought about this the other day, speaking with somebody about defending truth and, and being strong and defending God and defending God. And as we were talking, I said, you know, it struck me a while ago that I'm trying to defend the sovereign of the universe as if he needs Dan Mason to get in his way. It'd be kind of like Goliath coming up against David and then this tiny little sword bearer runs in front of Goliath and go, I got this. You'd be like, what are you doing? He's the power. You're not the power. So beloved, meekness flows out of the truth of who we are and of who God is. Remember, remember, wisdom flowing out of knowledge. We act in light of that which we know. And what do we know about God? He's the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing master. And the bigger your frame gets for your vantage point of who God is will dramatically alter you and me, in how we act. But with that, guys, look at verse 14. Because he, he brings something up here, and this is, this is one of the most fascinating pieces to me in this passage, is that he gives a competing wisdom. A competing wisdom. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, in other words, true wisdom, godly wisdom, wisdom in light of God, but is, and listen to these three words, these descriptive words, earthly, unspiritual, and then he reaches higher than I would anticipate, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There's two competing wisdoms in your life, in my life. There's the wisdom of God, true wisdom, I would argue, because everything is centered around Him. But then there's the wisdom of this world, worldly wisdom, natural unspiritual, demonic, to where this jives, this makes sense to the natural senses of the unsaved individual. That they say, that doesn't make any sense at all. According to what? According to whom? What are you basing that on? James now gives the fruit of the world's wisdom. 
Bitter jealousy, this is a heart that only recognizes what it wants and what it didn't get. Selfish ambition, the pursuit of what you want that gives you the selfish desires of your natural thinking. Please notice the modifier on ambition. Ambition's not a bad thing. I wish there's more of that in us as believers. But ambition for the right thing. This text, this text is specifically speaking to selfish ambition. In other words, a, a driving force to be ambitious is something that I will get or will reflect my, um, uh, my glory or will, will boost my ego or, or I'll get rich or, or whatever kind of worldly accomplishment or, or what I can get out of this. That's what that, that selfish word is important there because ambition's not wrong. It's good to be ambitious in the sense of working hard, pursuing the Lord, serving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Absolutely. But selfish ambition has nothing to do with God. It's just you. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, beloved, here's what I want you to do. Just think about this with me. Just look at the world right now. And take bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and find application. Now, I'm not, I'm not getting this off the hook. I'm not saying Dan Mason doesn't struggle with bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in my own heart. Uh, of course. But what I'm saying is this is absolutely axiomatic. I don't have to argue this. This is so clear. Just look at the world. Look at the world and look for selfish ambition. Look for bitter jealousy. Look at the anger when somebody doesn't win a political race. Look at the bitter jealousy. Books written. Interviews done. I didn't get my way. They got it. They shouldn't have gotten it. I was the better candidate for this, for that. Not just in politics, but in church life at times. It's all over the place, beloved. It's not hard to find. Why? Because it's natural. This is how we think by nature. That's what it means when it says this is earthly. This has nothing to do with him. It's here. It just comes natural. You bring two bowls of ice creams to two kids. What's the most important thing in that moment? Okay. I would say chocolate and size. Uh, And if there's caramel sauce, that's in the mix too. But immediately, he got the bigger one. I never had to teach him that. My mom didn't have to teach me that. I already knew how to do that. Bitter jealousy. And selfish ambition. I come first, you come, I don't really care. As long as I come first. You guys, that is everywhere around us, and I would argue it is continually gnawing at us, grabbing at our heels to trip us up. And the tough part is, this is a phrase that we hear all the time, right? Well, that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. Just because it makes sense to the natural way of thinking doesn't mean it's the right way. There's a lot of stuff that I could say, that makes sense. And it'd be horrible and completely disobedient to the Lord's word. Uh, A flip side of that, there's a lot of stuff we do as Christians where the world goes, that makes no sense at all. Let me get this straight. It's a gorgeous Sunday morning, not today, but it's a gorgeous Sunday morning, middle of August, in a little bank building that's too hot with airplanes that won't be quiet. 
and the beach is just right there, and you spend hours here? It does not compute. How much money are you giving to those people who are trying to help other people in other countries? You read this entire book. You don't move in with your girlfriend before you get married. That doesn't make sense. Well, it's all based on what you're judging it by. Because according to the word of the Lord, this makes perfect sense. But it's not earthly. It's not unspiritual. And you guys, he raises it, in my opinion, to another tier where he says demonic. You realize what he's saying there? He's saying the natural way of thinking in the mind of natural unsaved man is in line with Satan and his demons. So you could say to Satan himself, that makes sense, and he'd go, sure does. That's hardcore to think about what James has done in his description of earthly, worldly wisdom. Earthly, natural, driven by senses, earthbound, no thought of God, unspiritual, no thought to God's presence, power, and or sovereignty, and demonic, reasoning of demons, logic of demons. Now he tells us what the outcome is, and my I like to kind of wrap up a description, and so my word here is train wreck. If you look down, it says, but the, I'm sorry, it says, uh, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Again, just take that description, put it over our world right now, and I say, and I say our whole world, but just our country if you want, Disorder and every vile practice. Do you see the progression of disorder and every vile practice? That's the result of earthly wisdom. See, this is why it's, a very, it's very tricky when folks want to say, well, you know, you study the scripture, you're in, you're in that Bible that you read, and so on and so forth, and you are putting your mind under some weird... Um, uh, uh, teacher, influencer, whatever term you want to use. But me, this is from the world, I have an open mind. My mind is free. My mind allows things in that you don't. That's not true. The truth is, what you're doing is you're giving yourself over to the thinking of demons, to your natural way of thinking. The scripture, you know what it calls that? With great clarity, it refers to that as bondage. When you get born again, you're no longer under the bondage of sin. The scripture says prior to Christ, you are enslaved to sin. Dead in sins and trespasses. Oh yeah, sounds real open-minded, doesn't it? That no man seeks after God. That all have turned aside. The poison of asps is under their tongue. That's the word's description of that beautiful open-mindedness where they feel that they can just receive anything and everything. And what's the answer? Every vile practice and disorder. And again, beloved, I have it on the authority of the word, but I also have it on a mountain of evidence in our world. 
That when somebody says, I don't really want the scripture to have any dictatorship over me anymore. I want some freedom. I want to be more open-minded. I promise you, you'll see it every time. Disorder every vile practice. God in his love constrains us by the word. But by nature, we're children of wrath, backbiters, haters of God, and we pursue disobedience. And the tough part, beloved, is after we come to Christ, it takes some chipping away to help us to think more in line with the Lord and less in line with just natural Dan Mason's thinking. And so here you go. Two competing wisdoms. Two competing wisdoms. James clearly calls this out as not true wisdom from God, but rather natural wisdom evil wisdom, and the result is nasty. So the difficulty here is that the world's wisdom is so natural to the thinking of fallen humanity. For it to simply, quote-unquote, make sense should never be our only guideline. There are many things that God may call his people to do that in the moment doesn't, quote-unquote, make sense. True wisdom is based on the knowledge of the truth. And in that moment, it may not compute. Let me give you another another illustration. Somebody raises their child. They say over and over, I want you to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to encourage you. Did you do your memory verse tonight? Yeah, Daddy, I did my memory verse. Good work. Uh, Are you reading through the Bible places? Yeah, Dad, I'm doing that. All right, good work. Uh, how was youth group tonight? It was pretty good. Pastor, he's a little flaky, but I like him. You know, <laughs> all these kinds of things. And then at 18, they say, Dad, I'm convinced God's calling me to the foreign mission field, and I'm going to go get training, and I'm gone in a year. And where I want to go, particularly, I know for a fact that there's potential of me dying. And then... There's the Christian parent who goes, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Oh, but it does. See, that's what's so fascinating is when it makes sense to us biblically and logically as pretty sound believers, everything's cool. Until it's crystal clear that somebody wants to walk in obedience to the Lord It doesn't add up for you, but it's crystal clear from the Word. Beloved, that's where God in His kindness is still shaving on the rough patches of us, that we say, I raised you for this, and I'll back you in it, because you want to walk in wisdom that I raised you to do anyway. Now he gives a layout, and I'm going to go through this kind of quick, because he gives numerous words, and I'm not going to chase all these words, you guys, but just kind of, they're pretty self-explanatory. Look at verse 17. So what is wisdom then? But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
character in light of the knowledge of God's word with a desire to walk in obedience. William Hendrickson said, the peace of God dominates the thinking of the wise Christian. The peace of God dominates the thinking. I love that word and that it's just overarching. Everything they do from ordering what they're going to have for lunch to how to discipline their kids, they're at peace. The peace of God dominates the thinking of the believer. This is what true wisdom looks like. It's pure. It's unmixed. Fully devoted. Nothing in the way. Holy is another another synonym you could throw in there. Meaning it's obedient. It's not sinful. It's clean before God. Peaceable. Seeking to live without contention and division. The scripture says over and over, beware of a divisive man. A man who seek, or a man or woman who seeks to cause division for division's sake, and is just pure contentious. That's not wisdom. That's not the biblical definition of wisdom. Rather, it's somebody who seeks to make peace. Someone who pursues peace in a confrontation, or in a conver- conversation that's on its way to seek to make peace there. Uh, seek to live at peace with all men as much as it is up to you. You're a peaceable person. You're gentle. You're not the person that's aggressive. You're the person that's more gentle. Now, I'm not saying this, just so you know, real quick. That's what the Word says. Now, does that mean it's wrong to be aggressive? There's a blend. There's got to be a blend, because there's some aggression we see in our Lord in His earthly ministry. But what the Word says here, this is what a wise person is like. They're a gentle person. They're open to reason. Now, Reason within the bounds of the Lord and His Word. Meaning, let's talk. Sit down. Let's visit. I'll hear an opposing view, and we can talk about this and spend time together. I'm not just shutting you down. No, okay. There's great potential. Dan Mason's wrong. You're right. Then let's have a cup of coffee and work this through. But you're paying for the coffee. Number, uh, let's see, open to reason. uh, that, That you're open to. You want to visit with them. And I love these two, how it puts it together. Full of mercy and good fruits. You're ready to give mercy. Beloved, are you ready to give mercy? There's a confrontation to ask you. I asked my own heart this morning. You ready to give mercy? Remember, mercy is when you give grace. They don't deserve it. As a matter of fact, they deserve far more, but you don't give it to them out of mercy, pure mercy. I could squash you like a bug and I'm not going to. Because I've been redeemed and Christ has saved me, so why on earth would I be so fast to pour my wrath out on you? Full of mercy and good fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The fruit of the Spirit comes to my mind immediately. Impartial. No favorites. Do we have favorites? Yeah, probably. But the Scripture says, Do your best to be impartial. You don't let things dictate. You let facts and truths do that. It's like when you go and you're going to do jury duty, and they say, do you think you can be objective about this? There's a couple times I wanted to say, nope. (laughs) But, But yeah, they want to know, can you be objective? Can you be impartial? Can you reason this out? As a Christian, you should say, yeah, I can look at it. I can reason it through. And then finally, sincere. Now, mind you, these are the words that ESV uses, so that's what I'm tracking, but sincerity. You're not patronizing somebody. You're not playing gotcha. But in sincerity, you're dealing with that which is. 
You're pure, you're peaceable, you're gentle, you're open to reason, you're full of mercy and good fruits, you're impartial, and you're sincere. And we're told that this is a beautiful way. I love the description he, he gives here at the, this last verse. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Notice it doesn't say a harvest of righteousness is harvested. It says a harvest of righteousness is sown. So how do you put those two together? Well, we do it all the time, where we say, I'm planting corn. Really, you're taking ears of corn and putting it in the ground? Well, no, it's seeds. But I'm planting a corn harvest that's going to come from this seed. So when he says that a harvest of righteousness is being sown, beloved, what that means is we who are the peace-loving, gentle, wise Christians, wherever we go and whatever we do, we are continually seeking to be used by the Lord to plant peace and to plant a harvest of righteousness in our path. So when people come away, they may say, whatever, all kinds of things about you. But one thing you would hope they would say about you is, that person really believes in what he said. That person really believes God's word. They're really trying to walk and obey and walk in obedience to that. Not a hypocrite. It's legit. And so the seeds will produce a great harvest. This righteous harvest is sown in peace by those who are peace seeking. Remember the scripture says, that which a man sows, he will also reap. So Let me land the plane here. What are some practical steps that I can begin taking to gain true godly wisdom? So here's 2023, right? I know we're already in it, but here we are. The older I get and the longer I pastor, but even that is mid-tier. My top tier is the older my kids get and the longer I'm a father... Wisdom means more than it once did. If somebody would have said, hey, Dan, um, uh, Smith & Wesson Model 19 or Sound Wisdom 10 years ago? Mm. (laughs) Which one? For you ungun people, whatever. Uh, But when, when, when you get confronted with a question, a decision that has to be made that affects your whole family or affects your whole church body, and you, you genuinely go, man, I don't know. I don't have a clear-cut text. Man, wisdom sure looks valuable. And so what can we do, beloved, to pursue wisdom? Because God says in his word, it's top tier for him as far as what he considers valuable. The Lord considers this valuable, and so so should we as his, as his sons and daughters. Number one, remember verse five? Pure and simple. Ask him. He gives generously, the Bible says. You go to the Lord, and anybody who lacks wisdom, ask the Lord, and he will give. He's one who gives generously. You start begging the Lord, God, please, and probably you already do this, beloved, uh, so I'm not talking down to you in any way, but as we come to him and say, God, would you please just pour wisdom into my life, because I don't know what to do or how to do what I know I need to do. And God, in his kindness and love, the scripture says, with great generosity, he'll pour out wisdom. But that's not all. Don't be lazy. There's more. 
Search out the Scripture daily with an earnest desire to know the mind of Christ. Search it daily to know what is the truth. Remember, wisdom is the acting out of that which we know. Well, if you don't know the book, then how are you supposed to act it out? So, so drink deep from the Word. Number three, spend time with biblically wise disciples of Jesus Christ. The church is flooded with them. There's all kinds of wise believers in this, in this building that I would have zero issue. I've never had an issue coming and saying, I really need some help on this one because I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm really wrestling with this. And God in His grace will impart wisdom through a brother or sister in the Lord who's been around the block longer than you have. Another one, this one's hard for me. You'll know why. Listen twice as much as you speak. I'm a talker. It's just how I work. I, I learn better when I talk. Or at least I tell myself I learn better when I talk. Listen twice as much as you speak. Just close your mouth and listen. I believe sound wisdom is all over the place in the Christian circles we're in. And man, if I would just... And listen. Another one may catch you off surprise a little bit. Read and study the biographies of godly saints of old and watch their doings. Not just their writings. That's why I say biography and watch their doings and see some sound wisdom. Finally, live. Do your best to live. Because the longer you live, walking in obedience, and this is key, I'm not saying the longer you live, the wiser you are. That is not true. The longer you live walking in obedience to God's word, the greater you'll grow in true wisdom. Remember, it progresses. If somebody goes, I've been around this world for 80 years. Great. Have you ever read the word of God? Never touched the good book. Okay, well, you're not who I'm listening to. Because you are well studied in the wisdom of this world, which the Bible says is demonic. So I'm I'm not going to listen to you. I want to hear a saint with some snow on the roof who's had their nose in the book, have raised their kids, raised their grandkids. Those are the people I'm like, would you just talk? And I'll, I'll put tape on my mouth if needed, but would you impart wisdom? Beloved, I just gave you a massive bag of potential application for gaining more wisdom. My hope and my prayer is that this is not a wasted message. And I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about Dan, too, the study of this. This is not another one. But I'd really pursue these steps, asking the Lord that he would grant more wisdom to to me. Our Father, I pray that we would have a value system that looks more like yours.